the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is our Group of Five Deep Dive. I'm Mike Calvary, joined as always by Mike Ionello. Mike, you've been red hot. you got to walk us through the last two weeks. I just see it's Green Dot City in the action app for all of your picks. I'll say that I've been treading water a little bit, but if you're interested, there's another BBOC property. It's called The Tailgate. Tim Kalinowski and I, every Friday over on YouTube, give out our best college football player props. We're now 15-4. and four on the season. So between the two of us, if you stick with me on the prop bets and INLO on the sides, totals and money lines, you're in pretty good shape. Mike, what what is it like being this hot? Like, are you just pulling out every single one possession win? Or are you just seeing the board like with crystal clarity coming into every week? Yeah, honestly, it's a little bit of both. I've had a couple a couple lucky ones, you know, the I had Florida State, but then I've had some that, you know, just it just seems like everything's clicking and all of a sudden it'll it'll usually be like a window where like I'll have a time slot. Like I think last week it was, I think I went like eight and zero the noon time slot last week, um, which is always a good feeling when you just start today with like you're like I don't even care what happens now. And it was perfect because maybe the worst weekend of all time for a wedding. My little brother got married on Saturday. <laughs> Congratulations! So, yes, it was a phenomenal time, and he's very lucky that the wedding was so fun and that I did so well gambling wise. Because if I was just like getting notifications of all my bets losing, I would have been miserable. I probably would have left early. But also got lucky that, I mean, having your wedding on the whiteout game, luckily Brian Ferenc is an absolute clown, and I didn't have to sweat that game at all. Um, there was one very funny moment on the dance floor late. Uh, I'm literally in the middle of the dance floor with my phone up in the air, dancing it when Ohio State had that <laughs> fourth and goal. Possession and there's like seven dudes behind me. We're all watching the game together, um, so that was a lot of fun. I Notre Dame plus three and a half. So even though they lost, they still covered that one, which was good. Yeah, I'm. I, I've gone like forty and sixteen the last three weeks. So part of me's nervous to like say that because I don't want people to tell me because I've never been this hot in my life. So it's probably going to come crashing down this week. So proceed with caution. But I am on fire right now. <laughs> it feels good. It doesn't happen to me often, so I'm enjoying it while I have it. You deserve a medal or a holiday or at least a cuddle from somebody. As Stucky likes to say, stay humble, stay hungry. We're going to keep at it here, and we're going to stick with the tried and true. We're going to kick off the episode with our G5 Heroes of Week number 4. We I'm going to get it started paint the picture here for those who were not watching Wyoming App State. Down 19-14 with two minutes to go. The Pokes, Devon Harris blocks a field goal and Ja'Cory Hawkins scoops it up, returns it for a TD. The game-winning score 
The Wyoming defense ends up with a pick in the red zone at the end to be able to pull it out as well. But it keeps their New Year's six hopes alive, which is a crazy thing to say. Just a month ago, we were like, you know, is this a seven and five, eight and four Wyoming team or are they going to come crashing down to earth? And now, you know, with wins over App State, over Texas Tech, you know, they, they played pretty feisty against, you know, UT, a team that looks like they're headed to the college football playoff. Wyoming's an interesting squad. And now that, you know, um, Harrison Whaley is back offensively. I'm not going to go as far to say that they're dynamic, but they have a lot more punch with him running the ball. But shout out to Ja'Cory Hawkins for that scoop and score off the blocked field goal. Otherwise, they would have lost to the Mountaineers. Who is your hero of the G5 in week four? First of all, I still don't think Wyoming's very good. They got a game by like 200 yards. Um, this might be the first time I've ever we've ever had a G5 here of the week where I couldn't actually find the person's name. Granted, I didn't do a ton of research, but uh, I'm giving it to a group, I guess. I couldn't find the one person's name. The Texas State Band. If you do not see this story. A member of the Texas State Band was removed from the stadium by police after the Texas State was playing Nevada. He Nevada has their takeaway trident on the sidelines, and the Texas State Band member stole it off the sidelines and threw it into the stands. Well, here's the kicker. When this happened, Texas State was down 17 nothing. They scored 35 straight points following this move. Was it the reason they got hot? You tell me. I mean, that guy is my video editors are listening. I want a quick mashup of King Trident from Little Mermaid and definitely Brick from uh, Anchorman. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. I, I thought for sure you were going to go with our man Diego Pavia for taking saw, a leap on the New Mexico logo, which, by the way, I, here's my threshold for college controversies. Were there any real victims? No. Nope. Was it hilarious? Absolutely. And the third thing is, yes, he absolutely should be suspended, and, like, you can't do wow. this. But who are his people recording that, and how did that leak? Like, if I'm the coach, I'm suspending that guy, too, because it's like, if you are the cameraman on that, you got to lock that down. There's no texting your girlfriend that, your best friend. That's definitely getting out. So, I mean, shame on all of them involved. But if you're going to be the cameraman, you gotta you got to have some, like, you know, ride or die energy, and yeah. apparently he had yeah. none of that. Bobby's got a worse inner circle than Johnny Manziel. <laughs> Diego, Diego. All right, let's kick it over to best bets here in week five, and you are the man of the hour. I believe you said 40 and 16 in the uh, last couple of weeks, so let's go ahead and uh, fire away. 40 and 16, but I've lost all of my best, my best bets this year, by the way. So it's one of those years where the, whatever bet I'm the most confident in loses, but everything else is winning. So, it pay, I mean, we love our listeners, but hopefully you guys follow us in the action app as well. But I'm switching it up a little bit. This is not actually my best bet. I just kind of re- randomized the order. I'm not going to oh, tell you. I, I see what you're trying to do. You're, you're uh, trying to, you know, fix the uh, the gambling gods. I don't know. I feel like this may be spinning in their eyes. The, the bet of I'm going to give out today that I'm most confident in is in the high five. But I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. My whole week is kind of themed. You were talking about for the show. You said you're not very confident. You'll see throughout this. My whole week, I didn't really do it on purpose, is just fading teams I think stink. Buffalo stinks. Give me Akron, minus two and a half. I can't remember the last time Akron's been a favorite against anyone but Bowling Green in this division. Buffalo's own four. They lost They lost by 21 to Wisconsin, who doesn't look great. Lost at home to Fordham. They were crushed by Liberty. Lost to Louisiana last week. 
And when you dig through like all their advanced stats, their um, their five metrics, all that stuff, they're good at nothing. There's nothing they do well. They're 95th in success rate on offense, 108th on defense, 115th in explosiveness, 125th in preventing big plays. Our power ratings at Action Network have them uh, power rated 127th. Akron's 126th, but I think those power ratings are going in dramatically different directions from the preseason because I think Akron's on their way up. We've talked about Joe Moorhead. Obviously, I'm biased. Penn State. I love Jomo. I know you, you like him too. He's a great offensive coach, but their defense has taken a big step forward, which is something that's very promising given what I expect from Jomo's offense. They're 13th in success rate against the run this year. They're much better against the pass. They completely shut down Indiana last week. And we know Buffalo can't run the ball at all. And they're top 15 in the country in pass attempts per game. They're not good at it, but it's all they do. And you look at this Akron team, and yeah, they lost in four overtimes on the road at Indiana. Is Indiana a good team? No, but it's a Big Ten school. And they went on the road, and they dominated that game. Akron outgained them 474 to 282. They had three interceptions. That was it. The Zips have run the ball really well with Lorenzo Lingard. DJ Irons has, is really mobile with his legs. They have three good receivers, Gaithings, Adams, and George. We've seen Jomo build this team up through the portal, which is something we thought they were going to take a step back last year. It took us one more year. Lingard's from Florida. Adams is from LSU. George is from Penn State. Defense is a ton of power five transfers as well. I think this team is on is firmly on the rise, and I'm looking at that. And maybe this is just me guessing, but I'm viewing that Indiana game not as a letdown of a disappointing loss, but as a big confidence boost. That like, hey, we just went in to a, a Big Ten team and kicked their ass, and yeah, we lost the game, but we outplayed them. And I think Buffalo is firmly on quit watch. So give me Akron here at minus two and a half. I'm fading Buffalo once again. It may surprise you to hear this for the first time this season here on the Group of Five Deep Dive. If they lose this game, because I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to believe in Jomo one more time after they broke my heart in that opener where they had an 11-point lead on Temple and didn't score for the rest of the game. If they lose this game, they're in podcast prison. <gasps> this kind of behavior is never tolerating in Boracua. You shout like that, they, they put you in jail right away. No trial, no, no nothing. Right to jail. I have had it. I've had it. Enough of this. They're just, they're just going to turn the corner. They're just going to put it together. They put all these yards in Indiana. Win the freaking games. Make some plays in the clutch one time. So I'm going to put my money yeah. where my mouth is. I'm riding with you, but the stakes are high because I'm sending them directly to podcast prison I, if they lose I'm this fair. game. We will officially make a court date for Akron. They're on court watch here in this game. I'm, that, that's fair. What is your best bet? All right. Troy traveling to Georgia State. Listen, last week, Another one of my money line upsets ends up covering on the number, but they don't win outright. Troy was lucky to sneak out the win over Western Kentucky. It took a Hail Mary at the end of the first half, which I just knew that bet was doomed when they give up like a 49-yard bomb to the front of the end zone. Georgia State, though, I think this is the last time, the very last moment. I was on them last week. They won easily as a dog against Coastal Carolina. This is the last time you're going to get a good number on the Panthers. I'm letting you know this is either the best with the second best team in the Sun Belt, and you get them here at home as a short dog, laying a point and a half, I'd lay this up to three. And there's lots of things to love. I mentioned it ad nauseum, all of their playmakers, their big three offensively, they hit big plays in the run game. They're fifth in explosives on the ground, fifth overall in explosive plays in terms of the FBS, which is incredible for a Georgia State offense that in recent years, it's like, what? which Darren Granger are we going to get? Is he going to be efficient? 
He's been incredibly efficient. His accuracy has bumped up from 58% to close to 70% this season. And a big part of that is they do not allow negative plays. They don't allow havoc. They don't allow people to get close to him. And he's taking advantage of that extra time. And now they're up against a Troy offense that still, to, to I mean, last year they stunk. This year, I still think they stink. They're 111th in success rate. They let everybody in their backfield. So they're the opposite of Georgia State in terms of havoc allowed. They're 130th in that category. And they can't run. They have a great running back, but they can't run, which basically is a huge indictment of their offensive line. Their only saving grace for the Trojans is their big plays in you know through the air. We saw it against Western Kentucky, hitting Hail Mary. I don't find that to be sustainable. I think Georgia State's the better team, the better side here. I still love Robert Lewis, what he's doing. He's got a touchdown in every game this year, averaging almost 20 yards per reception. And Marcus Carroll is now seventh in the G5 in all-purpose yards per game with 140. He's nasty. I think they're a finished product. I think Troy is still trying to figure out their identity now that they're not, you know, an absolute stopper on defense. So I'm going to go with the Panthers here at home. What are your thoughts on the Sun Belt battle? I like it. I I always feel like I have a Georgia State's one of those teams where I can just tell as soon as I like fade them, they'll win. As soon as I bet them, they'll lose. So I've kind of stayed away from them. Like every week, I feel like I want to jump in on them, but I know as soon as I do, they're going to lose. So I probably won't bet this just for your sake. Um, but I definitely like had it on not on the cutting room floor per se, but it was it was not one I eliminated from contention quickly. Um, I do think, I think you're basically on the, the metrics point that way. They're four and zero on the year. They look they look strong and they're at home. And I understand that you know when it comes to MAC play and Sun Belt play, that home field advantage isn't that huge. But you know the Atlanta <laughs> metro area, it's one of those things like they'll support a winner. I feel like they have a chance now to get to eight or nine wins to possibly win the Sun Belt, certainly to win the Sun yeah, Belt. I think that win over Coastal is going to kind of propel them into like, oh, now, you know, I think that was a statement win. Absolutely. The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean-shaven look but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day? I know you are. That's why we partnered with Manscaped, the brand from below the waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir, Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new Handyman Electric Face Shaver. It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Make sure to join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Head on over to manscaped.com and use code BBOC for 20% off and free shipping. Your face is the first thing people see when you walk through the door. So give them something to look at with Manscaped Handyman. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BBOC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use BBOC. Hit the refresh button with the Handyman. All right, let's now jump in to the G5 High Five Round Robin Parlay. That, of course, for the uninitiated means we're going to give you five picks. Bundle it together, a five-leg parlay, use it in a round robin, by twos, by threes, however you want to put these together. These are picks that were right on the cusp of being best bets for us. The G5 High Five. Should we high five? High five! I'll get us started here with our beloved Trent Dilfer. 
UAB, fresh <laughs> off of their pretty decent performance, to be honest, against Georgia. They played hard. Georgia didn't really turn on, you know, the afterburners until, I want to say, like halfway through the second quarter. They do not come close to covering the 42-point spread. And if you listen to the post-game press conference and the Monday presser with Dilfer, as I did, of course, he basically seems a little bit encouraged, but he needed to quickly shift to giving lots of praise to Tulane. And two things stuck out from his Monday press conference. One, he now has like a D'Artagnan mustache, soul patch, facial hair situation going on. Apparently, the woman who runs the front desk of the athletic department said that he looks like Tom Selleck. Whatever floats your boat, Trent, I'm not going to get into it with you there. The second thing that jumped out was he was talking about everyone giving flowers to his passing game, his quarterback, his receivers, and he made it clear that that is a lie. Stats are for losers. Like Stats are for losers when you look at them as execution. We're not executing nearly at the level that I want. I got some stats for you, Trent. You're walking in to play Tulane as a home favorite. Are they any good as a home favorite? Well, since 2019, they're 17 and 5 against the closing number. That's 77% under Fritz. That's sixth best nationally. I love, you know, to target a second game for a quarterback coming off injury. You saw it a little bit with Nathan Rourke in Ohio. It took a little bit of time for him to get going. Same thing with Michael Pratt, although he was guns blazing coming out against Nichols last week, 18 for 23, three total touchdowns. I think this is the game that he absolutely shows why he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Forget the G5 moniker. This is somebody that lit up USC in their Cotton Bowl upset, and here comes the Dilfer defense. 120th in total D, 132nd out of 133 in rush defense success rate, 113th in success rate when it comes to rushing the passer. So they're awful. And they're allowing opposing FBS QBs to complete 74% of their passes. Pratt is going to drop a bomb on these guys. 21 and a half doesn't scare me away. And when Tulane is on defense, they are 11th in Havoc, 5th in sack rate, and they don't give up explosive plays. They're 26 in that metric. So I just look at this as kind of a dink and dunk. There's a, a new phrase being thrown around for college football. Pickleball offenses, where everything happens within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, that's UAB. They give Zeno a lot of short passes. It's kind of like a de facto West Coast offense to kind of build his his stats, his confidence in terms of rhythm. That's great. You need to hit big plays if you want to hang with a big boy team like Tulane. They're not going to do it, and their defense is powerless to stop the green wave. So I'll lay the 21 and a half here to get our round robin started. I know uh, a few other podcasts always talk about the, uh, they do the, um, the Iowa points watch, 25 points mm-hmm. a game. I know Bud Elliott has like this whole chart where he like distributes the points of how much they need to score against each team to hit it. I think we should start doing that or we should have a chart with uh, how hot is Trent Dilfer's wife because he said she gets uglier after each loss. So he said she was a smoke. Well, now she's only a seven, Trent, because you got three L's. So I think you got this week. She's probably going to be down to a six. And yeah, you're you're in trouble here, Trent. Your your wife is just, she's going she's gonna to have a rough year. I married a smoke show and I have awesome kids. And she wasn't as hot and my kids were annoying and my food sucked. As he likes to say, his food tastes like shit. Well, it's going to taste like ashes after this game because they're going to get bombed out by 35 points. All right, what are you adding on to our G5 high five? So you mentioned that you did not think Troy deserved to win that game. Neither did I. So I'm taking Western Kentucky minus five and a half. I in this game should be north of the touchdown. As I mentioned, Buffalo, fade middle Tennessee again here. We know Western Kentucky wants to throw the ball all over the yard. Austin Reed, nine touchdowns, one interception. Doesn't look quite as crisp as he did last year. But I think, you know, we know that's in there. Malachi Corley, seven yard, seven catches per game. You know, this team has 10 players averaging more than 10 receiving yards per game. They're super deep. You know, Corley's the guy. 
And that's with, you know, they, they played an Ohio State defense that just completely shut down Notre Dame. I think this Ohio State defense is really good. And they played a Detroit team that, yeah, not good on offense. But I do think their defense looked pretty good last week. And I, like I said, I still trust this offense. We still know what it's capable of. Middle Tennessee is 108th against the pass. The same reason we double-dipped on Colorado State last week, which we both hit. The Blue Raiders allowed 345 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Now they face another air raid attack. And we know this Western Kentucky defense struggles, but Middle Tennessee is 100th in the country on offense. They're 99th in finishing drives. They're not exactly this huge threat to the Hilltoppers. And they especially can't run the ball, which is Western Kentucky's biggest weakness. So I like the Hilltoppers to bounce back here. I think they win this game by a touchdown, five and a half. This is on Thursday night, by the way. So it's kind of a standalone game. I think it's like three or four that day. But this is the perfect Thursday night, sit on your couch, watch the Hilltoppers win by a touchdown. All right, I'm going to jump back in with another coach and team that you have some hot takes on. Cue up that Dilfer. Stats are for losers. I got another stat here. Stats are for losers. Bowling Green at Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets lay in 22. The worst team in the MAC on the road against the spread since Leffler arrived, the Bowling Green Falcons. 8-15 and 15 against the closing number. That's 34%. That's awful. Bowling Green's awful. They're 124th in the Action Network Power Rankings, 115th in success rate on offense, 120th in Havoc Allowed. They can't pass. They're 125th in PPA and 110th in explosives. I, I just look at this as a team that is going to get bombed out by a Georgia Tech squad that if they had held on in that opener against Louisville, I think the whole narrative would be different on them. But I still think this is a drive for six to get to a bowl game kind of team. And they have to have this game. There is no slipping up against Bowling Green. There's no looking beyond it. Because when you look at their other winnables, if they win this one, then they get BC, Virginia, and home against Syracuse. They need all of them to get to bowl eligibility. So I think you're going to see them focused in and rejuvenated because their quarterback play for once is really good. Like Haynes King, I understand that he left College Station. He had a lot of fanfare coming in, but he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. He's been great. 12 touchdowns and two turnovers, 320 yards per game. And Eric Singleton Jr., they go into the state of Georgia, one of the players that gets overlooked by a program like Georgia. You know, there's lots of recruiting bases in the SEC that like to come in and pluck guys from Georgia. But he was small. I think he's like 5'10", 170 pounds. He's a track star, three-star kid. He's hitting explosive plays left and right, and that's really changing the Yellow Jackets' uh, ceiling in terms of their offensive play. Four games, four TDs for Singleton Jr. I see the good times continuing to roll against a Bowling Green team. You talked about the quit, you know, the white flag option with Buffalo. Bowling Green's not far behind, so I don't mind laying the 22 here at home. Like I said, Georgia Tech needs to win and win soundly so they can get focused on the rest of their ACC slate. I'm going to roll with Haynes King. I think he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the country this year. And obviously because of you know them being an also-ran in the ACC and playing little brother to Georgia, they don't get the publicity. I'm happy to take that. I think they should be favored by over 28 in this one. So I'll go and lay the 22. You mentioned Haynes King, by the way. I'm not sure if this is a smart thing to do or makes sense, but I feel like I bump Georgia Tech up a little bit in my brain every time I watch Jeff Sims play because that dude stinks. And everyone thought he he's was awful. like, good. Also, it's weird, like, we, you know, especially these kind of teams, like, when we see quarterbacks, like, move, you know, to a worse team or down a level, you know, Bo Nix goes to Oregon, and all of a sudden he's a Heisman favorite when he couldn't complete a pass at Auburn, and, you know, Rocky Lombardi drops down, wins a Mac. 
how has Connor Bazelak gotten worse at every stop? Like I actually, I always thought he was like somewhat decent at Missouri. Goes to Indiana, stinks, drops down to the MAC, and is now horrible. Like I, what happened to him? Yeah, I, I, I agree. He's basically the the floor has fallen out from under the Falcons. I I don't think we've even got to them bottoming out. I think this team metrics wise could play worse, and I do think they're going to play worse. All right, what's your next one here? Fade another bad team. Fade in Utah State. Give me UConn plus six and a half. I don't think Utah State should lay six and a half against anybody. Were you not worried by Utah State nearly upsetting James Madison, dropping 38 points? I mean, they threw, what, two picks on the final two drives? Like, I thought for sure that their offense was kind of DOA going to that, you know, new quarterback. But it seems like, at least from that game, maybe maybe I got recency bias. Talk me out of it. It's not the offense. Their defense is horrific. Their their offense isn't, does look better. Cooper Lagat was garbage. But their defense can't stop anybody. They gave up 24 points to Iowa, which is, basically giving up 70 to anybody else. Air Force put up 39 points. James Madison put up 45. I think UConn plays a similar style to those two teams, especially James Madison, just not quite as well. They have two really good running backs, Victor Rosa, Devontae Houston. Houston only played four snaps last week, but Jim Mora said after the game that he received an IV before the game. So I think that that makes it sound like he's just sick, right? Why would you get an IV if you had like a muscle injury? Uh, Utah State's 127th at defending the run. I think UConn's going to run all over this team. And while UConn has been burned through the air, I still just don't really trust Utah State throwing the ball. And the Aggies have to fly all the way across the country to Hartford. And while, sure, they're going to be able to get some good pizza, it's not the best travel spot. It's not exactly the most ruckus environment. Not that I'm putting much stock into this, but this is also a revenge game for Taquan Roberson. He tore his ACL on the first series against Utah State last year. I'm sure he knows that. I'm sure he remembers that. I'm sure he's, you know, sprinkle on just a little bit of motivation on top. I also kind of like the under here. That's what just makes me think that six and a half is too many points. I think this is going to be a close game. If you are box score searching on, you know, Sunday, because obviously nobody's watching this game, and and UConn beats Utah State, are you going to, like, give a second thought to it or think anything of that? Like, no, because they both are kind of bad teams. They're both struggle on offense. Utah State's defense is horrific. So to me, I think six and a half is too many points to Utah State to be laying on the road. So give me the Huskies. Let me go ahead and I want to look up here in real time. What is the remainder of UConn's schedule? Like, is there any hope for them to get to bowl eligibility should they win this game? So they're 0-4, obviously, on the season. They just got boat raced by Duke, but that has little bearing on this game because Utah State is... I think, I think the FIU losses will kind of killed our, our our bowl hopes. They play Rice, who doesn't look great, and JT Daniels is banged up, but he's, I'm assuming he's back by that game. They play South Florida at home, who's not very good. They beat Boston College last year, so that's a winnable game. Tennessee, no. James Madison, no. Could they go six and two? Assuming that the Tennessee game is a loss and the BC game is a loss, then they got to upset JMU on the road or BC on the road. Um, Sacred Heart, if you get UMass, yeah, South Florida, Rice, you need to get BC and and Utah State. So it's got to start here. I, I would argue it's not quite white flag time for the Huskies. I am a little bit confused by Jackson Mitchell as somebody who is a big fan. Of yeah, his. I don't, I don't know if he's playing hurt or what. He had two tackles last week. He's been kind of non-existent for an entire month. Yeah, that's certainly a concern. Um, I mean, at least, like I said, they, Utah State currently, they, they can't really throw the ball, so they're going to have to run, so maybe we'll see him play better. 
Um, we did have that win total over four and a half, so this also would go a long way for that. I'm more concerned about that than the bowl, if I'm being quite honest with you. <laughs> that fight, you lost hurt, but they, they need to get this one to get back on track. But even if they don't win, I think six and a half is too many. All right, let's stick with the G5 high five here and round it out with your last pick of week five. This is just a gross game. I mean, Eastern that last Mi- one was pretty gross. So I can't imagine what you're going to hit us with now. These are, these are all gross. That's our specialty. Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, under 48. I'm going to keep this one short and simple. These two offenses are a mess, and they play at a snail's pace. They rank 95th and 123rd in seconds per play. Eastern Michigan is 131st in success rate on offense. They can't throw the ball at all. They don't finish drives. They don't score. They're dead last in big plays. I have no idea what happened to this offense, but the Eagles do not be flying. I, I'm so perplexed by what happened to them. Austin Smith is terrible. Samson Evans can't run the ball at all. I thought he was the best back in the conference coming into the year. He, he just doesn't do anything. He's non-existent. And then Central Michigan is 113th in success rate. They can't throw the ball at all either. Their entire offense is Bert Emanuel picking up big plays with his legs. And while I love him, and he's an electric factory, he's been banged up. He didn't play two weeks ago against Notre Dame. Last week he started, but played just six snaps. So I'm kind of confused there. It made it seem like he was sick against Notre Dame, but then like a week later, he's like, I don't wait, play and then just like not feel well. I don't know what the deal is with him. But if he's not 100%, I don't expect them to do much on offense. And, you know, neither of these defenses are pretty good, but it shouldn't be hard to slow down these two offenses. So I think this is going to be kind of a gross game. So give me under. The only thing that sucks is that this game isn't on a Tuesday night because it should be Tuesday night, cold and rainy, but I'll take it on a Saturday or under 48. I'm glad you bring up the chips because this basically leads into our underdog money line parlay of week five. I'm going to go ahead and hit South Alabama plus 140 at James Madison. And South Alabama, for those not in the know, played Central Michigan last week. And man, was that a weird game. So we kind of believe this was South Alabama's year in the Sun Belt collectively. I'm so confused by this team, by the way. Yeah, I mean, they lay an egg in the opener against Tulane. Then they go to Stillwater and blow out Oklahoma State. Then they lose at home to Central despite zero turnovers and outgaining the chips by 50 yards. I had to go back and watch the end of the game on ESPN+. And luckily, they had the full stream because they had them dead to rights at the end of the game, fourth and 10 late, up by three. Central was out of field goal range. And they got like a confusing unsportsmanlike conduct penalty where one of their defenders was so mad he threw his helmet off the field and had to get restrained. Of course, it was like, you know, the ESPN Ocho announcing team. So they don't even have a video highlight of what he did or an explanation. Central, a new set of downs. They end up going in the end zone, scoring a game winning touchdown in the final seconds. So that was just bizarre. That's why you only have 10 defenders on, on defense on key plays, so you don't have to worry about getting a penalty. Maybe Marcus Freeman is onto something here. Meanwhile, we just talked about it. James Madison gave up over 500 yards to Utah State, and you know they go 3-for-12 on third down. This is JMU. And they turn it over five times, and they win the game. So I got one team that dominates the box score is clean sheet in terms of turnovers. They lose. And then this other team that looks like they're just giving the game away to Utah State and they win, I'll go ahead and take one of my preseason picks to win the Sun Belt, South Alabama, plus 140. I'm going to go ahead and take them here. I just think from a value perspective-wise, Carter Bradley, you know, Webb at running back, Lacey at wide receiver, I like their big three. I like their ceiling offensively. We saw it, you know, dominating a game on the road against a Big 12 team. It's in them. 
And it was just a weird game last week. And I think you're getting value for what would otherwise be much closer to a pick em, if not the Jags laying points in this spot. So I'll go ahead and take advantage of the recency bias and take the plus 140. I can't tell if I if Carter Bradley's good. Like, he was good last year, but he's he's had a weird year. Like, he did nothing against Tulane, and we thought their defense was going to be – I mean, Tulane's better than we thought, so maybe we were wrong there. And even against, like, Southeast Louisiana, and, you know, Devin Voison's hurt. Like, he's still out, right? He's mm-hmm. he got hurt. So, yeah, just a weird team, which, honestly, I don't hate it just given the fact that, like, First thing you said when I said when you said them was I'm like, I don't know what to make of this team. So I guess that makes it not a bad money line play just because it's like we did like them coming into the year. I'm and, not gonna play and we still have the evidence of them. It wasn't just beating Oklahoma State. Like if they won by three or they got some fluky fumbles, like they beat the brakes off of the pokes in Stillwater. So to me, that says this is what their ceiling is. This is how good they can play and be dominant. And they did that on the road. So I have the evidence that I need. And I agree, you know. Like, what do we need to see offensively? A lot more, and we need to see them be more consistent and dynamic. But the playmakers are there, and the opportunity to hit a higher ceiling is there. Yep, I don't hate it at all. Uh, for my underlying parlay, I'm pairing it up with Temple, plus 135. I was close. I was close to pulling the trigger on the yeah. L there, yeah. All right, good. Another Thursday night play. Uh, Temple's had a weird start to the year. They got two wins over Akron and, and Norfolk State. And then they get blown out against Rutgers in Miami, so you can't really take much from them. But I still think this team has a lot of upside with EJ Warren and company. He turned the ball over against the Power 5 school, sure, but I think he'll settle down now that we're in conference play, kind of like we saw him do last year. Um, something I did really like, especially in that Miami game, I watched a little of it uh, yesterday. Like I've been trying to rewatch like highlights and stuff because I missed everything. Uh, Alman Anderson has really stepped up to replace Jose Barbin, which was kind of my concern coming into the year because Jose Barbin was, he had like half their catches. Uh, and Anderson's really done a good job. He's averaging five catches per game, nearly 75 yards. He had 117 yards and 10 catches against Miami. And so far, you know, the offense hasn't moved the ball consistently so far. They need to get better in the running game. But they're 54th in explosive plays. They've been able to pick up big chunks, especially when two half their games are against Miami and Rutgers. That, that's pretty good. Uh, the pass defense has looked really good after taking a big step last season. So that's something I, you know, I'm kind of banking on here, especially because Tulsa has really struggled to pass the ball with whoever's playing quarterback. They've had three starting quarterbacks through four games. Um, Braylon Braxton got hurt like halfway through the first game. Carter Williams so far seems like the best option. I hope they call him Cadillac, by the way. But um, they don't throw the ball that much anyway. And this pass defense is horrific. They rank 132nd in the country in success rate. Yes, 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 I know. They played Washington and Oklahoma. Of course, they look bad. But they also got torched by Washington and Oklahoma. And we have to, like, you know, you kind of have to balance both sides where it's like, sure, they rank 132nd because they played two really good pass offense. But those offenses shredded them. So we have to, like, weigh that a little bit. And then you talked about a weird box score, weird game. They beat Northern Illinois last week, 22-14, to but they were outgained by the Huskies. Rocky Lombardi got hurt. They also literally went up 9 nothing because the ball slipped out of Lombardi's hands in the end zone with nobody touching him. He just dropped it in the end zone, had to jump on it for a safety, and then uh, Tulsa scored on the next drive after the free kick. So they were up 9 nothing before, like, without doing anything. I think we see EJ Warner settle in here, kind of look like we saw it at the end of last year. 
I think the Owls can win this game. So give me Temple plus, what did I say, 135. Yeah, give me the Owls. Yeah, I was at a sports bar on Saturday, and that was one of the games that was randomly like frozen on one of the screens. Like everyone was like, change it to the Colorado game, change it to, you know, essentially anything else. But it's like, no, the, the clicker's broken. So I watched a lot of that game, and I agree with your assessment, which was like everything that could go right for Tulsa in terms of turnover luck and injury luck at opposing quarterback. And Northern Illinois, I know they have experience with this, but they essentially had to go with like a wildcat offense for most of the game. I think that basically you take the entire box score and you throw it out. And you say that that's kind of you know misleading information. So I agree with you in terms of value. When you're getting a G5 matchup, between two teams that are reasonably even in terms of overall talent level, and you're taking the better quarterback. EJ Warner is absolutely the better quarterback, and he has more experience. And the fact of the matter is, yes, they played Miami, and they got boat raced, and they don't cover that number. But like, what do you expect them to do in a spot like that? This is now a Miami team that's at top 15 in the AP poll. So I'm not thrown off by that any more than I'm thrown off by, you know, Tulsa getting worked by, you know, Penix Jr. and the Washington offense. It's going to happen. So with everything being equal, I'm just going to go with the better quarterback. What's, what number did you get on that money line? Plus 135. Yeah, so we'll take my plus 140, your plus 135, put it together. Hopefully, I mean, we're not the mathematicians, as it has been clearly stated here <laughs> on the pod. I believe that's like, what, just north of four to one, you know, in terms of payout. So let's go ahead and, and, and get that and get one of these wins on the board. Uh, programming notes. As always, Stucky and Colin will be dropping on Thursday their full FBS card. They're going to cover, I mean, last week, the episode seemed like it was an hour and 45 minutes. They cover like 29 games. There's literally no stone left unturned from the biggest game of the week in terms of, you know, national notoriety all the way down to Stucky's trash picks. (laughs) On Saturday, BBOC Live, that'll be Brett, Colin, Stucky. I'll parachute in for my G5 pick of the week. And then, as I mentioned at the top, BBOC, also, you have this YouTube special, The Tailgate with Tim Kalinowski and I, where we go through our college football player props. You can see that exclusively on YouTube every Friday morning. We're going to go ahead and drop that. You want to grab those numbers as soon as possible. There's always a decent amount of market inefficiency, I'll call it, between you know some of the major uh, purveyors of college player props. So you can get pretty significant difference, you know receiving total at 65 or you know 68 sometimes that can be the difference between winning losing living and dying so be sure to grab those as soon as those picks go live for mike ianello i'm mike calabrese this has been the group five deep dive under the big bets on campus banner thank you so much for listening and best of luck on saturday Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.